often we get meaning and purpose not only from having our children with us but also from the careers that we've mm. we've had and if that's taken away from you that must be really difficult to manage and I think you know some of them were saying that they'd run their own businesses and then when the war broke out they had to close their own business down because it wasn't sustainable because of what was going on in the country so not only is there the uncertainty of their future but there's also where they're going to live and how they're going to support themselves because you know there's a cost to living Hello and welcome to the Good Mental Health Podcast. I'm Jo Baker and each episode I speak to our guests about various health and wellbeing topics, from professionals in their field contributing their specialist knowledge and insights to real life cases where people share their own experiences. We cover topics that we feel should be more openly discussed and those in which our listeners have expressed an interest in an effort to raise awareness and promote more widely evidence-based information and offer free resources and advice about emotional health and wellbeing. I hope you enjoy listening. Today, I'm going to be talking to Kerry Hartwright. Kerry's a paediatric nurse with many years of experience working with children and young people and also their parents in and around London. She's worked as a school nurse as well before training with us at the Human Givens College as a Human Givens therapist. Throughout her career, Kerry's worked extensively in the charity sector as a well-being lead on a number of projects, including initiatives for mums, babies and toddlers and maintaining well-being during the menopause as well as working with autistic girls who are at high risk of self-harm and suicide. She's also managed to secure funding to run a project called Brain Tools, which supports the mental health and well-being of 10 to 14-year-olds who perhaps need some extra pastoral care or who are struggling with anxiety in a school setting. Kerry's work is really underpinned by the Human Givens organising idea and really focuses on helping people to get their needs met and encourage that connection and friendship for those who might be experiencing social isolation. So we're really delighted to have you here today, Kerry, to talk to us. So welcome. Thank you, Jo. Nice to see you again. And you. And, you know, I, I understand that you work for another charity as well called the Big Red Bus Club and really looking forward to discussing with you today the work that you've been doing there with some of the Ukrainian families who've come over to, to this country. Yeah, so I worked alongside the Big Red Bus Club, volunteered for them, done training for them and all sorts of different things for about 10 years. And then after I did my human givens training, I set up a community interest company. And so um, sort of in collaboration with them about, well, towards the latter part of last year, a funding opportunity arose to provide support for Ukrainian women who were newly arrived in the country. And the charity had done a lot of work with Ukrainian families since the war had broken out. And we were awarded funding to run a six-month project, and that started back in November. And we've been doing that ever since then, minus the snow and other random things that have happened. But yes, so that's been running once a week since then. Fantastic. So what kind of things are you doing to support them? The charity in themselves run uh, Stay and Play, which is particularly for Ukrainian families. And they've done a lot of signposting and they've been working with an organisation called Ukrainian Support Greenwich. The funding we secured was through the Royal Borough of Greenwich. And they've just been signposting them, helping them, you know, when difficulties have arisen and identifying, you know, potential safeguarding issues and that sort of thing. And my project specifically was for supporting the well-being of Ukrainian women, largely because that's who who, um, you know, that's who we've who's come over here. 
but also it's different from the stay and play because it, although they can bring their children with them, if they've got children that are under the age of five, it's kind of a space that is just for women as well. So we have a mixture of women that come on their own and women that come with children under five. So it was separate from the um, stay and play that was always already running because it had a particular focus on the women. And from my observation, and I think is as, you know, it's tip, as is typical for parents, they are their focus is on their children and making sure their children have a nice time. So it's been getting the message out there that it's actually for them has been uh, something that I've been working on. But yeah, so that's what I've been doing, really. So obviously you you had experience already of working um, within that culture because you'd worked alongside um, people from Ukraine previously. What kinds of things, obviously, you know, since the invasion over a year ago now, I know that, you know, we've had more than 8 million Ukrainians have actually fled to other European countries. Really, you know, all of their physical needs being compromised, you know, needing security, needing shelter, needing food, and and obviously, you know, a huge, huge impact on, on their emotional needs as well. So although being able to come over here and live with with host families who have have kindly offered space within their homes for them it's still not not their home what sort of things have you seen have been most challenging for for the people that you've been working with as you mentioned i did know i had worked with ukrainian volunteers through my work with the charity over a number of years which was why i think the big red bus club ended up with so many of them arriving at the charity after the war broke out they already had connections. Uh, their volunteers were Ukrainians living in this country. Not all of them, some of them. And so that they had a bit particular draw to there. So in terms of the challenges that we've we found, obviously uh, the sort of things that people have said to me, one lady said to me the other week, you know, she arrived in this country with one bag and two children and to live with her family who were childless by choice. So now she's had to adjust to living with a host family who have kindly opened their doors, but are now having to also get used to having children in their home. Other challenges, there's been lots of trauma um, and the trauma is ongoing because they can't, because, you know, the war's still ongoing. So, you know, if you happen to, if the project runs on a Thursday and the day before there's been, been something that's happened in Ukraine, then obviously their emotional needs are more affected on the day that they arrived. When I first started doing the project, one poor lady, I think I made her cry every single time I spoke to her, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a good way of, you know, that lady was on her own in this country with her daughter and sharing a room with her daughter in a host family home who were really supportive and everything. But she was trying to be strong for her daughter. She was trying to be mindful of the fact she was living in someone else's house and she didn't have a space for herself. And I remember when I very first, my very first session I did, where I really introduced the idea of the human givens approach. So I did a, a board where I talked about a plant and what a plant needs to grow. And we'd, we'd potted bulbs. This was, this was kind of how I introduced it. It were bulbs that were supposed to flower at Christmas. So they could be given as a Christmas present. And then we talked about the sorts of things that, um, you know, flowers need to grow. And then we talked about what humans need. And I'd got the innate cards that I use as part of my therapy translated into Ukrainian by um, my support worker and one of the ladies sat there talking about just putting her hand through the soil and it brought back memories of her mum who she'd lost mm. and things like that and it was just a really nice space for them to come and talk the challenges have been trying to be strong 
for their children, I think, and make sure their children are happy and well looked after. The ongoing uncertainty and not, not sure how long they're going to be over here for, being very well aware that they are in someone else's house and therefore not that it's not their own space. And, you know, so that's been, you know, as a, as a, a person who's gone from having their own home and their own family home to living in someone else's home, that's going to come with its own challenges for them. You know, the language being a barrier, there, there's lots of ladies that I've met who are highly skilled, highly qualified back in Ukraine. And they can't really, they struggled, you know, with English coming over here. So that, that has been quite a good opportunity for them to practice their English. I've had some really random conversations <laughs> about English words with them. So they're the sorts of challenges. And then more recently, I had a conversation with two ladies a couple of weeks ago who um, were telling me that their family was made up of a parent that was from the Ukraine and a parent that was from Russia. And that when the war had broken out, they were completely shell-shocked was one thing, as I think everyone was, but they were also completely alienated by close friends because of fear. And so that really impacted on their emotional needs. Yeah, just lots of things, really, that you could say that there's is going on for these people. Such a, you know, a, a hugely complex situation. I love the fact that you were, you know, you were potting bulbs and then, you know, talking about the the needs of a of a plant and helping them to understand their own needs as well. I think that's absolutely fantastic. So what really sort of came through there was obviously so many needs being compromised, but that real sense of not being able to, even if they've got their own room in a house, not ever having that sense of privacy because it's not their home. So have the, is that something that you've talked to them about the project's been a bit sporadic in as in we've had some weeks we've had a, a few weeks where like a little group of people have come and then we've had lots of new people come but yes it was something I spoke about to people they're really appreciative of everything that you know the sacrifices these people have made but I think it's just that awareness that they are actually a guest and therefore they need to be they're trying to be respectful and I think that that lack of privacy for them Without them actually saying it, you know, they hadn't told me they had a lack of privacy, but, you know, it's kind of something I surmised because they're sharing a room often with their child. And, you know, some people have come over with two or three children. Some people have come over with, I had one lady come over here with a six-month-old baby. The baby was walking when I saw him. Um, he was about a year old. But that, you know, that sort of thing. And then being in a in a family home with other children. And that's been a positive in some respect. One, one lady was saying that her daughter was an only child and the family she was living with also only had one child and their child their children were around the same age so they had formed a nice little connection and they were playing really nicely mm -hmm. together so there's been some benefits to it but I think you know whilst the host family scheme was an amazing opportunity I think that there it's I think it's been recognized that perhaps there wasn't much future planning for it and therefore they're now in a situation where you may have opened up your doors for a family and you may now want to have your own life back and these people want to move on and get a space for themselves and that's very difficult for them to do because they can't get a job and they can't and they don't have financial security and they can't put a deposit down on a flat to rent it because, and people don't want to rent out to children so there's that sort of thing it's the future so the privacy is a big need obviously whilst trying to be respectful of and where do they get that space you know, that where does that space come from if you're living in a in a house with a family who already lived there? And I know when we've talked before, Kerry, you've said, you know, the people, some of the people that have come across have, have mostly come with women and children. And so they've come and they've left partners behind in the Ukraine. So 
there's that that fear and you know that sense of loss and you know a, a huge amount of grief as well for people relations that they've lost but also a grief for their country and you know so that must be something that comes through yeah the, the, the grief for the country and you know even it was uh, my Ukrainian support worker that's working with me on the project was one of the ladies that was telling me about how her parents were Ukrainian Russian and she was saying it's just total shell shock at the time and it literally took her three months to come to terms with the fact that I had someone crying I did a therapy session actually with a lady who was from Ukraine um, she was living in a different country, but she was saying that, um, you know, every time she thinks of her country, she just cries because that country is gone. And I think for me, I just think that although I can have no understanding of what these people have been through, I can't imagine myself having to displace myself to the other side of the world with a child and so much uncertainty. So that's why I think the projects are important to me, because, you know, we, everyone wants the best for their family and their children. But, yeah, that ongoing the sadness and the missing of their their husbands. I mean, one lady was telling me about her daughter at Christmas time. The host family had been, you know, bought her daughter a advent calendar and her an advent calendar and their own child an advent calendar and, and you know, take them to Panto and it all and it was they were being really thoughtful. And her daughter didn't want to open the advent calendar because she didn't want to be in England for Christmas because she wanted to see her dad. And so of course she she had to kind of manage that situation without breaking down herself, which is where it's quite nice to have the space for them to talk about these things. And, and I guess what you're trying to do though at the charity, although, you know, they're, they're welcome to bring their young children along is you are trying to carve out that space where they've taken time just for themselves, if that's possible for them. So what we're doing um, as part of the project, what we're doing is we're doing a series of wellbeing activities and, and you know, trying on a, a basis to do a check-in. So, you know, looking at what's been a good point for the week, which what's been more of a struggle for the week. We have talked at times about relaxation techniques and I've talked to them at times about the importance of space for themselves in order to be the best parent that they can be because that's what they're very interested in. And so we're, do, we're doing a range of activities that and we're doing sort of when we get them to register, we're doing a sort of in emotional needs audit, if you like, looking at, you know, why they've joined the project, what they're hoping to get out of it, you know, how they're satisfied they are with their life, how, what do they do to relax, what do they do to have fun? And we're sort of collating that information. And then we're doing activities that are based around community and connection and, and bringing in traditions. So I'll tell you about a thing that we did recently, one of the weeks we did on the basis of what my uh, colleague had told me. So we're doing lots of activities that are wellbeing focused. So we've done pottery a couple of times and, and I was quite impressed with the thing that I made myself. <laughs> it, it highlighted to me my, the need to slow down because the lady who comes and does pottery is very calm and very everything's very slow and I'm not a very calm or very slow person. So it reminded me of <laughs> taking time out. But we got to sit there with our eyes closed, holding the clay. And then we had to tell the lady what we felt when we felt the clay and which is obviously quite wet and cold in, in its feel. And one lady said it felt like her, her child's skin when they were falling asleep or something along those lines. We sat there and we held it. And then we were doing this, we were making a bowl and we had to tip the thing up, the ball of clay upside down and sort of spin it. And I was going at 20 miles an hour, which is why I'm, that's where I said about the slowing it down thing. And at one point, my colleague said to, said to us, Cut, close your eyes. So we sat there with our eyes closed doing this, Things. I mean, it's very sensory, but also very peaceful and very calm. And we turned off the heaters in the um, the building, which are a bit noisy. So it's, it's just very peaceful. And mm. that's what it is. It's about encouraging 
them to do activities which get them into a sort of flow, if you like, that mm-hmm. absorb their concentration so that they have got a bit of escape, if you like. So the other thing that we've done is we've done sort of craft activities. They're very efficient crafters. They're very Some of the work they do is awesome. A lady told me the other day that she'd knitted a blanket for her hosts in two hours. I was like, geez. Wow. They're very, I, know, I was like, blimey, that would take me about two years. But she, so they're very used to doing these sorts of activities. So one week we did cross-stitching and I just took some Ada along and some needles and some threads. And then I, I printed off some patterns, but I kind of left it to, to them. And so that, again, that got them into the flow and they were just sat there crafting. And then there's always an activity for the children. So if the children have come along, I'd taken dream catchers. And so they were making dream catchers and in, I was helping some of them and or some of the mums were helping them. And so everyone was kind of busy doing a craft of some description and getting quite lost in what they were doing. And that's the purpose of it really, is to give them something that's a bit mm-hmm. relaxing. But the other thing that we did, which um, hopefully we'll do tomorrow because we're running it tomorrow, was that my colleague said that it's tradition over in the Ukraine to sing. So the women get together and they do cross-stitching. It's quite a traditional thing. Mm. And I love a cross-stitch myself. And um, they were sitting there in a circle cross-stitching and singing. And it Mm. just felt really nice because it was something from home. Because that had come from the Ukraine Mm. lady herself. So it was kind of a connection to home. Plus they were with people from their own community. And so it just felt like, you know, that was was quite um, a sentimental thing, if you like. I know from just from the work that I've done with international students, one of the most important things that, you know, we can put on all of these community things for them and, you know, all of these welcome events for them. But actually, the most important thing is being able to connect them to something back home. So one of the people that worked in the the multi-faith centre at the university would find local shops and places in the area that perhaps sold things um, or put on events that were specific to where the, the international students were from. And that was so important. So I can uh, totally understand the value in what you're saying that, you know, bringing in those traditions from home. Um, yeah. And sometimes they've had, and like sometimes they've brought in cake that they've made, which is Ukrainian cake or sweets that are from Ukraine. And so that, you know, we've just brought them into the thing and had people, but yeah, it's, it's been really nice to just have that space for them. And, and a lot of the time they are speaking in Ukraine, so I, I'm not really too sure what they're saying, but my um, colleague will interpret for me. And then we've done, we also do a bit of yoga, which is always good for mind and body, as we know. And so, yeah, it's just really on a rolling basis doing these things. And apparently another tradition, I was told by one of the ladies from Ukrainian Support Greenwich, is to paint Easter eggs. And apparently they paint the eggs differently according to what region of Ukraine they're from. So that's something that I'll probably do as we get a bit closer to Easter, because yeah, it's, I have to run a session every few weeks. It's my turn to run a session. So we're looking at how we bring in more explicitly the conversation about well-being. I was talking to my colleague about it who's supporting me, and she she's actually a qualified psychologist back in the Ukraine, just so that they they know that they've got that space where they can talk. But yeah, I did think one lady. I think I think I put her off because every time I spoke to her, I made her cry. But <laughs> I thought that that was that was just it was good because it was a space for her to do that. Do you know? And it would yeah. send her home feeling a bit lighter, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then some of the other challenges you asked me earlier was um, for the hosts, I think, as well. You know, so okay. there's been um, a need to speak to hosts about the trauma and how to recognize trauma because they're living with people that are highly traumatized in some instances or many instances and so there's been work to 
in the local borough to try and engage hosts as well to offer them support and find out what they need because they're doing an amazing thing and opening their doors and then having to support these people that are in a really difficult situation. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you what, done that work? Have you worked with uh, host not, companies? Is that something that you'd like to push on? Not me personally. The borough has been doing some work. Mm-hmm. They've had they've had a, a sort of, a, what do you call it, a thread where they've been doing some work to try and engage with the host families, I think, to make sure that their needs are being met. And actually, I did have one lady came along with her guest who was a host and she was an interpreter. So she was quite an interesting lady to speak to. She was just, that lady didn't have children with her. She'd come by herself. So, but she she had a couple of uh, ladies staying with her. And so, yeah, she, she was talking to me about how she was finding the, pro- the whole thing. It's quite That was quite interesting as well. And I know when when we've spoken before, you've said that the one of the biggest challenges is that you know so many of these women coming from highly skilled roles in their own country and really desperately wanting to work and to be able to you know rent somewhere um, of their own, but just not being able to to work in this country. Yeah, and that's really that's an ongoing thing because mm-hmm. there's a few things you know they have to. It's level of English can be a bit tricky, although, you know, their level of English is far better than my level of Ukraine, but that that wouldn't be too difficult. But, you know, their level of English and and I'm talking about people that have come to me that one lady was a law lecturer that came to me the other week and my colleagues are psychologists. And then I had another lady who used to be an HR manager. And these are very, you know, very intelligent, highly trained people. And so not only can they not secure similar roles, but their meaning and purpose you know, so if you've you've had a really absorbing career and now you've got you're in a different country and you've got sort of like 20 hours of every day or, you know, 19, 16, 18 hours of every day where after your child's gone to school, you've got what do you do with yourself. And that mm. must be really difficult as well, because, you know, often we get meaning and purpose, not only from having our children with us, but also from the careers that we've mm. we've had. And if that's taken away from you. That must be really difficult to manage. And I think, you know, some of them were saying that they'd run their own businesses. And then when the war broke out, they had to close their own business down because it wasn't sustainable because of what was going on in the country. So not only is there the uncertainty of their future, but there's also and where they're going to live and how they're going to support themselves because, you know, there's a cost to living and they can only they can claim universal credit once they get the appropriate things in place. But that's not going to allow them to be able to rent a place. So where are they going to go? And I think, you know, there has been cases where people, things haven't worked out, you know, well, and they have ended up living in shelters because things haven't necessarily gone according to plan when they've arrived in the country. There has been some difficult situations like that, I think. And yes, there's the uncertainty of their future and where they're going to be, but also the lack of meaning and purpose because we often measure ourselves and our competence as well. If we're, used to achieving all these things and and running our own business and and you know really being successful on a day-to-day basis and now we're just biding the time when our child's at school and trying to find some things to do that must be quite difficult because they're not even managing their own homes are they so that must be a a challenge as well I think for them and as you said it's that ongoing uncertainty isn't it because there's no no idea of how long they're going to be, you know, displaced, you know, as it were. And, you know, when you've been working with these these women and these these families, what sort of therapeutic tools have you been able to put in place with them? So, as I said, I've got the, the innate cards translated yeah. into Ukraine, which was something that I did at the beginning. So I thought, well, if I'm going to talk to them about the innate needs, then I need to uh, 
actually write them down so that they know what they're talking about. We adapted the registration form so that it was similar to the emotional needs audit. We've talked about 7-Eleven breathing. I, I didn't have the opportunity to do I was going to do like a, get them to think about how they could survive Christmas with, you know, doing sort of from an emotional needs perspective, given that they were going to be in a different country without their family and all the traditions that they would normally have. And just listening and talking and, you know, with the yoga breathing and relaxation. Um, so there's some of the tools that we've we've been put in place, really, and just providing that space to talk, because I have had the I have had the opportunity to have conversations with some of them about their experience. And, and at the very beginning, I sort of said to them, you know, this is a space for you and this is what it's here for. And so just having that conversation and sort of finding out a little bit about what's been going on for them, really, I think, as part of, you know, when we do our information gathering, it's been looking at gathering a bit of information from them about what's going on for them. And I think, you know, just talking about going, we go, what you're talking about really is going through rigor, isn't it? There, the, the structure that we we would use in a therapy session. So, you know, building that rapport through the the wonderful um, activities that you're doing with them to to help them to feel able to share their their story with you, um, and and so that you can access their resources and and help to hopefully meet them, you know, help them to work towards a goal of, of feeling more safe and secure and having a um, some more meaning and purpose that they can find in that space with the charity. Yeah, and I think also, you know, the ability, the uh, community, you know, there's been people that have um, turned up and they've met someone that has been from the same region as them, even off, if not the same town as them. Mm-hmm. So then that's nice because then they've got someone that they could maybe, and they are a, I know from my experience of them way before the war, which I was talking about, that actually they are people that are very much drawn to their own community. And so, I mean, I did some training once for um, the charity and it was being put on by two of the Ukrainian volunteers. It was a first aid course. And I had someone come from Rystick to this tiny little shack. Well, it's not shack, but it's a porter cabin type building Mm -hmm. in the middle of a park to do a first aid course because they knew that all the people there were going to be from Ukraine. And this was way before the war. And Rystick is, I don't even know where it is, but it's quite a long way away. So they are yeah. very much drawn to, and um, interestingly, when I was um, when I was out in my local area recently for coffee, I saw two of the Ukrainian volunteers that I'd, you know, one Ukrainian volunteer I trained in first aid and another lady that I'd met randomly was also Ukraine, having coffee together. They are very drawn to their own community. And I knew that before I even started this. So. If there's any way of facilitating that, then yeah. that's a really good thing as well, because that gives them the support and the ability to have a friend that maybe understands them a little bit. And, you know, the, obviously, you know, the provision that you've got and the the, the work that you're doing is, is just fantastic. Is there anything that, you know, what can other people who are not working in charities with with Ukrainians, what, what can we be doing as the, the public to help? So I think it's just about being mindful, really, you know, of the situation that these people are in and, and, you know, talking to them if they're, you know, most of them will, in my experience, will will often apologise for their lack of English, though, even though their English seems to be really good to me, just find out what's going on for them and ask them about their experience, which is, I think, you know, that's something that we could do better in lots of areas of our life as a whole when when it comes to emotional well-being, but just ask someone how their day's going, what's going on for them. Is there anything that you can do to support them? You know, sharing English with them, because often they are quite keen on improving their English. I think we were talking about, what was it we did? But yeah, I was just trying to get some of the nuances of the English language into this conversation because they were asking me. So I think it's just 
And one thing that we were going to do, the lady that was going to do it, unfortunately, ended up doing an English course at the same time as the programme was running. But she was getting them to run sessions, so giving them a bit of volition, something that they can do maybe to contribute back to the home, you know, and maybe that's what's going on. I don't know, obviously, because I haven't asked, but that sort of thing, giving someone a bit of control. I was going to get this lady to run a cross-stitch session and teach the other ladies cross-stitch because then that she loved it and that was something that she'd self-taught herself. So mm. I think just, yeah, being mindful of what they're going on, going for, just touching base with them. I told my daughter who had a couple of Ukrainian little girls in her family just to talk to them. I mean, in her school, sorry, to just talk to them and find out, you know, make sure that they were okay and, and help them if they needed help. And she's, she's very empathetic, my daughter, anyway. So I was, that's the sort of thing. It's getting that message across there. And, you know, maybe getting that message across that, that these people just need support and they need to be noticed, really. You know, if there's anything that we can do to help, you know, even if it's offering people, I've seen posts out there, people looking for their posting, saying they've got this guest and this guest is very is a fantastic cleaner. Could that is there anyone that's got an opening in their home? So, you know, helping them to find a bit of direction. Yeah, I think most of all, it's just noticing and being aware of that we can never have an understanding of it, you know, what they're going through still. And that's yeah. why, you know, the trauma is an ongoing thing. That, that If you're hearing news of your... One lady was saying to me one week about how her husband was living in one of the areas where they were... They had no power. So I think the day before, there'd been a bomb or something, and it was snowing, and there was no power. This was around Christmas time. She couldn't get hold of her husband, you know, and so it's in that. And she was besides, she was really upset when she came to the session, understandably. So I think it's just being mindful of that it is an ongoing thing and they are being re traumatized by that, particularly if it's where they're from and they've, and they've got family still over there. People that are, you know, have left, I wonder, you've left her mother behind. Her mother won't leave the country. She's in her 80s. She's always lived in Ukraine and she doesn't want to leave the country. So she's living in some remote part of Ukraine. Um, still working on the farm and mm. she's got to think about that so I think it's just being mindful of that really that they are still living in a very treacherous uncertain time mm. even a year on and I, I think you know your, your concept of perhaps and if there are any other human given therapists out there listening you know the concept of uh, perhaps putting on some training for hosts from the human givens model you know some trauma awareness training would be such a such a valuable thing to provide and some support as well perhaps for hosts in the incredible work they're doing i know that you we when we talked before you said that you'd found that some of some russian people that you knew were they were really struggling because of how marginalized they're feeling um, or being made to feel um by yeah. people in this country who are kind of blaming them for yeah. the situation that's happened were you saying that somebody was struggling for yeah so so um someone that i know quite well if they've lived over the road from me for 10 years their, their daughter is my daughter's time twin she's about a day older than my daughter very randomly they moved into the area about six months after i, I did and i saw them not long after it had all happened and the ladies not very confident in her English. So she she was really worried about going to the local college and people finding out that she, where she was from and, and f- finding the difficulty there. And they'd also had some difficulties around, you know, things that they'd, they'd had a bank account in this country for years and years and all of a sudden her ID card was being checked and they were monitoring them. And these people have lived in the country all their lives and actually her husband has been doing lots and lots of trips to and from the Polish border um, over the period. His way of getting, I think, involved is to try and 
do his bit to support. Yeah. And and he's let his Russian passport lapse because he doesn't, I don't think he wants to have that connection with the country anymore. But I think there has been stuff that has been going on for families that are well established in the area. And it, and not, you know, and let's face it, just because you're the leader of your country decides to instigate a war does not necessarily mean that that's how you feel about the these are people that probably live together quite happily and associated with each other prior to this happening. And I mean, my colleague was saying, oh, you know, some of her closest friends are not still not talking to her, you know, a year on. One of her best friends is not talking to her. And either that's that might just be fear. But, you know, the reality of the that when and she said she was literally like, hey, you know, what's happening here? She's got yeah. one. And then and that sort of thing must be really stressful, I would imagine. Yeah, hugely, hugely. You know, the world shifts so, so dramatically and so suddenly. Um, so I think it's really, you know, hugely important that we we bear in mind the, the discrimination that has been happening as well um, for, for Russian people living over here too. Kerry, coming towards the end of our time, but it's absolutely just so inspiring to to listen to how the Human Givens Framework has really informed the work you're doing in so many areas, but in particular, um, you know, such, such needed work at the moment with the, the Ukrainian families that have come over. And I think working in such a holistic way as well. So I'd just really like to thank you for sharing your story. And I hope it's inspired other people, um, which I'm sure it has, to perhaps, you know, take a more proactive approach to, to thinking about how they can support both Ukrainian families over in this country, but also being mindful of other people who've, you know, other, other communities who've been so affected by the war that's happening over there. The work that you've been doing is, is absolutely inspirational. Is there anything else that, you know, that you particularly wanted to add today with things that we've spoken about already? No, but just I think that the one thing that I've taken from the human givens training and my ongoing work as a human givens therapist is that it's such a good framework to be really flexible with, if you like, because, you know, I've been running other projects with funding, again, from the same the same borough. So the Royal Borough of Greenwich have been really helpful to me in giving me funding and allowing me to do these things. But I'm, I'm currently running a project for young people around their brain development and their emotions. And again, mm. it's looking at the brain. I was doing a session with them on brain development the other day and how, you know, the use or lose it connections that they're making in their brain and, and that sort of thing. And their emotions and you can just use the human givens approach I think in a very flexible way because yeah. you know sometimes it's a bit daunting to say come and sit down and have a therapy session but what you might find off the back of doing a project like that where you know at the end of the six-week project they're all switch swapping phone numbers and they're sitting in their little groups and they've made friends and this yeah. is children who are struggling in school who have social a lot of them have had social communication problems that they're coming to something and they're making a community and we all know how important that is in itself. So I think there's, it's what the human givings approach has given me is just a really flexible way of working, but also thinking all the time about what are the needs of this person? What are the needs of this person? What are the needs of this person? And, you know, at the end of the day, our needs are, are how we interpret them. And so that's been quite a useful framework to have, I think, just generally always looking at it from the human givings perspective and what I can do to help that really. Kerry, thank you so much for sharing such an inspirational story and for giving us your time. If you would like to explore the Human Givens approach and the training we offer, you can find out more by visiting our website and you can find the link for that in the podcast description, where you'll also find the links for many of the resources mentioned in this episode, as well as our podcast archive. 
We've been lucky enough to speak to so many interesting people on the Good Mental Health podcast and on such a wide range of topics. But if there's something that you would like us to cover, please do let us know. And of course, if you enjoyed listening today, please like, comment and share. But for now, thank you to everyone for listening. And until next time, goodbye.